you grown-ups look at them for inspiration. Because you should be the ones they're looking at to see how to dance. But y'all was looking at them. And, man, once, once you realize they got it together over there, because, man, everybody, they had it together. They were like a line dance going on over here. It was awesome. It was awesome, man. It was contagious. It was, it was contagious. I saw one of the little ones. He's sitting there, and he's standing there. And then all of a sudden, you realize everybody else is dancing. I might as well. Man, that's the glorious thing about worship sometimes. Sometimes the way we teach worship is when we all worship, it just encourages others to worship. It's good stuff, man. That, that, that's church right there, man. We could have called it a day right there. That, that's like, that was church. We're not. We could have. I got to get this one off. This is, a good, this is a good one today. This is, I was like telling Joy uh, uh, last, or as last weekend ended, I was already looking a little bit at what's ahead and where to go in the gospel of, according to Mark. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this one, but this is one we like all have to kind of go through. So we're in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 6. Now, just let me go through a few things real quick. I've, I've gone through some hard things in, in my own personal life, and whether it was because of stubbornness or uh, loneliness, one thing's for sure, I have pursued in my personal life, uh, and, think, and maybe one thing that I would say I've maybe struggled at was pursuing the affirmation of my peers and my friends. And as a young boy, I had, you know, obvious leg problem. I didn't start out as most would, right? It's hard to fit in when you've got this big metal bar between your legs. One leg was shorter than the other. I mean, it's easy to make jokes when you're little about stuff like that. I, I've talked about all this before, but it was a serious thing in my life. It shaped an early part of my life. The rejection that I received as a young child, not being able to fit in and not looking like everyone else caused me to grow up being mean, angry, uh, maybe even a little bitter. My wife says, man, you were a bully. Uh, what's funny is that I remember what it was like to be a bully uh, uh, or be a bully and, and remember what it was like being bullied. Uh, and uh, as I grew up, this same kind of um, feeling of rejection would cause a few more changes in me uh, down the road because rejection had taught me basically um, uh, in school, it began to shape me. Uh, uh, it had taught me to be a chameleon, so to speak. Uh, I, uh, uh, it, it had taught me how to shape certain things about myself in order to fit in and be like uh, those around me. You know, I learned what people liked and what they didn't like. And in learning what they liked and didn't like, I learned how to create a personality that they would like. You know, it was, it was real easy for me. Rejection had huge, like, monumental effects in my life, and it created pivotal moments in my life. One of the reasons picking up drugs and alcohol, it's not like my parents, well, my parents drank a little bit here and there, but it wasn't like I was exposed to drugs through my parents. Now, that came later on when it became to be a cool thing if you did something like that or if you had access to something like that. So that was something that I sought out so that I could be liked. So, I, and it, today it's easy to look back and see where I made decisions that were life-changing because of rejection. It's easy sitting in this chair right now, seeing where those things happen. I can understand it. I have forgiven even myself for such things and because the truth is, is that rejection hurts. Being rejected hurts. Rejection strikes uh, right to the core of our identity. And one thing's for sure, nobody is exempt from rejection. You're going to face it from, from the time the small child till you die you will face rejection part of life all right mark chapter 6 verses 1 through 6 let's go to the bible say amen if you're there yeah. jesus left that part of the country and returned 
with his disciples to Nazareth in his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters live right here amongst us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown, his own hometown, and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Now, we've already seen what Jesus is capable of. I mean, just from the first five chapters, we've spoke to the wind and waves, and he was able to calm them. He rebuked demons, and they had to flee. He even raised, at this point, a dead little girl, uh, and we've only seen a portion of his ministry at this point. A small little fraction, and he's already done some amazing things, right? But here in this passage, Jesus has determined he wants to go home. Because who doesn't get a little homesick? I mean, what I love about Jesus and his humanity is even Jesus wants to see his mom. Even Jesus wants to see his family. There's, there's, such, there's such the humanness and great quality of Christ here. So when the Sabbath rolls around, he decides to uh, uh, go and teach like usual. Uh, their first impression of him is that they're amazed. This is their first impression. It's their first thoughts. Right, And then something strange happens, and this reveals more about us and, and maybe the people then, which are the same as us, uh, uh, than it does about Jesus. And before we dive in too deep, there's something here that's all too common when it comes to rejection, and it's the word they. Anytime my kids have ever talked about rejection, there's always a mysterious they. And you never really know who they is. Um, you, you, you can never really narrow it down, but if, if, if we had to, it would probably be the people we care about. Uh, because usually the people we care about have this giant effect on us. And sometimes even the people we care about can reject us. I mean, society at large can reject us. People that don't know us can reject us based off our looks, based off outward appearances. And Jesus isn't exempt from this. This is normal. They say, where did he get all this wisdom? And the power to perform such miracles. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James. Joseph, Judas, and Simon and his sisters are right here amongst us. Now, this isn't a compliment. Right? At first, it just sounds like a statement, but it isn't a compliment. It's a shaming statement. It's a shaming statement. It's meant to cut to the core of who Jesus is, his identity. It's devilish. And there's no difference uh, in what they're doing here and what the devil was doing in the desert. I want to explain some of this. The enemy knows that if he can rock our core identity and make us rethink or worse, forget who we are, then he can possibly change our course. I'm going to say that again. If the enemy knows that he, if he can rock to our core identity, if he can rock that and change that, make us rethink or forget who we are, then he can possibly change our course. Now, the first part of what they said sounds like they're just amazed until you see the latter part, and the second part reveals their thoughts on the family of Jesus. The first part sounds fine, right? And it says, well, then they scoff. Well, it really reveals the first part, right? It's as if they're saying, how can Jesus be great and do all these things? After all, his mom is Mary. By the way, notice that they didn't say Joseph, 
was his father. He wasn't the son of Joseph. Listen, guys, that omission, that gives us insight into what they're really saying. That what they're saying is, how can a man be great that comes from a promiscuous woman? I mean, not only is she loose, but look, not having a child out of wedlock, but look how many kids she's got as proof. It's a low statement. But one that's disguised to make you, uh, to make it look like just sheer wonder. We're just wondering. I mean, it's just amazing. No, it's not. It's a little bit more than that. You know how this is done, right? Sure you do. Because we're all guilty of it, right? It's like when we say something that we know is intentionally ugly, but we disguise it. Um, uh, we disguise it so that if you were to tell someone else what we would say, it wouldn't sound too bad. You know, like when we like, like if I say something to my wife along the lines of, you know, like if we're talking or anything, well, what did he say? Well, he said my hair looked good. Well, that isn't bad. Yeah, but you didn't hear how he said it. Yeah, it looks good. Why'd you say it like that? You had a tone, right? We know how, we know how we talk. It's like when we say bless their heart. That ain't meant to be a good thing. <laughs> That's not a good thing at all. Actually, comedians have gone on to make that a very funny quip about Southerners when they want to talk bad. Oh, that's, that's such an ugly baby. Bless its heart. Like, I don't mean to say anything bad. You just did. You couldn't say anything nice, anything good. Come on now. Right? It's just like that, it's easy to take something that's, that in simplicity doesn't sound all that bad. But it, its intention is to hurt. Right? It's not, it, so, but if like, well, what did they say that hurt you? Well, they said this. Well, it doesn't even sound that bad. But you didn't hear how they say it into the content by which they said it. Unfortunately, we have no level to our depravity. And most of you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's moments like these where we're faced with rejection and we find ourselves on the cusp of change. Do we let rejection shape and mold us to become what will be accepted or do we let it roll off our back and walk in who God created us to be? It's an obvious question. And while we know which one Jesus is going to choose, and we even know which one we should choose, more often than times we don't, more often than times we will allow it to change us. We allow rejection to shape us into something else, multiple personalities, multiple identities. Am I talking psychologically? No, you'll, you'll, you know what I'm saying. You have an idea, you know, there's the you that we see at work. There's the you that we see at church. There's the you that we see at home. The list goes on. I heard a preacher call it one time, we all wear masks. Which mask are you wearing? You have multiple ones. Which one do you like to wear? You got one at work. You got one at home that everybody else, you got one where only your, your spouse sees. You got one where only your kids see. Which mask are you wearing? We're often juggling a false persona in the efforts to fight off rejection. This is why we often have problems in our life and why people struggle to see the gospel in all of us. This is where, this is where we get in front of the gospel and we kind of ruin it. Like, I, don't you know that Jesus saves us? Well, I can't see it in you. Let me remind you of how it works. Let's just, let's just go that route. Let's go an easy route. Let me remind you how the gospel works. The core principle of the gospel is that we are sinners. This means that we're unclean by nature. We're depraved. We're lost in sin. We can't even help it. It's just natural for us to be unrighteous and to do things wrong. And to prove this, God gave us the law. There's a set of rules by which it says, if you can keep these rules, you'll be made righteous. Good luck. It's not going to happen. 
It's never happened except once. All right? We couldn't do it, so God sends Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, atoning for them, so now that we can enter into heaven, how? By the grace of God now. Because we, we acknowledge that we couldn't do it. We have to lay pride down and go, I'm sorry, I, I am not all that I declare that I am. I am nothing when it comes to this set of law that you've laid. I cannot do it. I need the grace of God, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I just can't do it, right? And this is simple, but how can I actually see this in you? How can we see grace in you? We see it, listen, when you're honest about your life. This is where rejection hurts us. We see it when I can view your imperfect life and the response of grace at the same time in your life. But I can't see that if you always veil that. If you keep putting on masks, if you keep putting on these identities that have been caused through rejection so you'll fit in, I can never see the grace of God work in your life. And here's an example. Let me, let, me, let me just talk from my own level so I'm not pointing a finger here except back at me, right? I've been struggling at work over the last few months on how I'm reacting to customers who have a bad attitude or they, for whatever reason, feel the need to lie in the effort to get something more for their money. And I've been discussing it a lot with my wife at night. We've been talking about how we can do some things better in, 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 at our jobs and how we can be more Christ-like, and things that we're intentionally working on in our own hearts and sharing with each other. Um, uh, and, I, and I even went as far as I apologized in front of my coworkers, who often can't even tell that I struggle with it, but I wanted them to know it, and I said, listen, I'm trying to change my attitude. And listen, it's mainly like when I show up and there's like 50 customers at 8 o'clock. I mean, as soon as I open the gate, it's a mad dash, you know, and and I'm like, I didn't even have coffee yet, guys. I will kill somebody. Or, I, 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 or, or uh, 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 like, like the, a, couple, a couple of days ago, we closed at 9. You showed up at 9. How many of you like a customer at, right when you're like walking out the, right? I mean, you know, and it's just the way it is. And it's usually the one with like the worst scenario where nothing's easy. It's going to take me 15 minutes because they don't have anything together. Right? That's probably why they showed up at 9, right? And, and they need grace more than anybody. And in that moment, I have to give it. I have to be able to give it, right? And there's the struggle, this thing that's pulling. And, and my, the coworkers don't even see it, but I'm apologizing. Well, listen, this is something I'm working on, something I see in my own heart. Some, and and I, I'm really struggling here, but I, I'm revealing my heart before them and my sincereness, right? Because here's the thing is, I want to be like Christ to everyone I meet. And so I let... Not only you see, but I let my wife see and even my coworkers see that I'm not perfect. Just because I have a gift of pastoring and I sit in a pastoring role does not mean I'm perfect. I'm transparent with my wife. I'm transparent with my coworkers, with my friends, and you, my family. Not so that you can judge me, but so that you can see the power of grace working within me. Changing me to become more like Christ. Listen the gospel is that heart's desire to become Christ. Otherwise, what would I care about changing at all? The fact that there's still this need in me, 15, 16, 17, 18 years later, after coming to know Jesus, that I still feel like I'm still, I, I, it, as crazy as far as it seems like I've come, every day I'm like, I don't even know how you saved me. I'm the worst guy ever. Because I still think like you do. When that angry customer comes up, I want to punch him in the throat just like you. But is that Jesus? No. Being honest. No. 
And so what do I do? I'm nice, and it's hard for me to be nice, and I'm not wanting to be nice, and I can't joyously be what I want to be before them. So I'm going back to my wife and, and to like you, like in the, even in this moment, because I'm confessing these things. Why? Because my heart's intent is to become more more every day like Christ. This is me being the church. This is where we mess that up too, guys. If I can just get my church to be the church, well, listen, that doesn't mean you go out and buy gift cards for everybody and start handing out gas and everything else. Being the church, first of all, if we could just learn how to be us. We are never going to be the church until we can just be okay with us. You need to be okay with the fact that you're not perfect. By the way, it's funny how you only realize that and you only want everybody to know that nobody's perfect when you're not perfect. That's everybody's Facebook post. I better stop. Listen, when we allow rejection to create multiple personalities, ultimately hiding our true identity from others, we are failing in letting the world see the grace of God. We're failing. Is it any wonder that the gospel today is disappearing and more and more we're seeing that some of the people today who are the most respected and revered are actually criminals, liars, pedophiles, sexual abusers, can, have, have anybody noticed that Hollywood is on a full-out panic mode? Have you watched the news today? Right? It's amazing what people hide that goes, uh, uh, and that goes for both sides. Those that use their position and power to take advantage of people and even those that allowed it so they could achieve fame and fortune. I mean, that's the art. Listen, I'm not going to take back all these, like, sinister guys have done uh, during their acting careers and all this, right? But all the people who are saying these things who are things that benefited from being in those situations and denied ever having those things so they could get to a place. What they had to sell to get there, what they had to hide. It's funny, we have this idea of them based off their screen personas. They're professional liars. I love acting, but that's what they are. They sell me the idea that there's somebody else. Some of them are so good. In the meantime, the enemy continues to plot and plan because here's the ugly truth that's going on in the world. That we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of unseen worlds, against mighty powers in, in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says is what we're really fighting against. Rejection sets in motion this great veil by which to reject the grace of God in exchange for the favor of men. That's what it does. Instead of admitting your, fa your failures and admitting your faults, <coughs> what we've said is I would rather be liked by men <coughs> and accepted by men right, than let them see what I really am. But here's the great thing about this is, yeah, okay, so in your depravity, you are this sinner. But here's the thing about the grace of God and the gospel, man, but you're saved. Jesus is changing you from the inside out. How you live today is not how you're going to live 10 years from now. The things I struggled with 15 years ago are not the things I struggle with today. The irony to today is the things that, I, that I'm struggling with are the harder to me than, I, than drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol was a physical thing that I could actually see. And say, I need to stay away from this physical thing. This other thing that I'm fighting right now, this other enemy, is the one in me. That goes, 
the reason this gift of gab has helped me in life because I have longed for the affirmation of men. I've longed for the affirmation of applause. I've longed for the affirmation of these things. Psychologically, where you, you want to get where is that? Because my parents, is that, my parents were at every game I ever had. I, I, don't, I think that's just the depravity of man working inside me. I think deep down we all want to be affirmed. We all like a good old attaboy. We all like it. Get a raise and tell me you don't feel good. You'll either feel like that's awesome or I deserved it. Be careful of the latter. We'd rather be accepted by others than allow them to to see that we're not perfect. And then we really do. We really struggle with this whole idea of when we have a failure. Usually I can tell when somebody has a failure because, like, especially on Facebook, the first thing they'll do is say that. I kind of jumped ahead a little early, but the first thing they'll do is say that. You know, nobody's perfect, and I shouldn't be judged because I'm not perfect. You're only saying that now because you did something wrong. Most people don't walk around talking about how unperfect they are. They just don't do that. Unless something happened that causes them to say, I need everybody to be imperfect right now because now I am. And it's out there for everybody to see. Praise God it's out there for everybody to see. How are you going to respond in the grace of God? Be loving. Be caring. Admit your mistake. Say you're wrong. Say you're sorry. Move to reconcile. These are the things of the gospel. This is when people will see the gospel in us. Deep down, we know that everyone isn't perfect. But the truth is, the rejection we've already felt in life for being different at times has left a scar that's still too sensitive this day. You know what the truth is? God, for many of you, there needs to be some healing in your life. Because rejection leaves scars that are hard hard to, to just go away. You remember it. When it comes back, you remember it. You, you just know. Listen, one of the craziest things for me has always been, I kind of think I stated in here, is I have never felt comfortable around pastors. And I always and often feel rejected around pastors. My wife is like, why do you torture yourself? Why, why do we go to places where there's all these pastors and you know that you're going to be the prophet in there? You know this. And I'm like, I don't want to, but there's a way that is right. And these people, they, they're in the leadership. They're the ones leading people. And I listen to some of the things they say, and they don't act like people who should be leading people. And so I get frustrated and irritated. And my wife's like, you got to remember, they're the people you're called to love too. And I'm like, be quiet. Because she knows, she knows just like anybody else that rejection and the rejection I feel amongst the pastoral group. Because I think they know too. Like I'm, a, I, I'm more, you know, they said, man, I don't... I'm not one of the sheep. You know, I'm more like a sheepdog. Uh, uh, the military talks about the sheepdog often. The sheepdog looks a lot like a wolf, so they tend not to like the sheepdog. But the sheepdog and the sheep go hand in hand. So does the shepherd, right? The shepherd takes a stick. All I do is bite you a little. Man, that's the sheepdog. And my thing is, is if the shepherd gets out of hand, that's what the sheepdog's for too. That's kind of how I've always looked at myself in ministry, so it's kind of set me apart in that deal. I've received some rejection for those things, and I've had to work those things out and talk with my wife about it, who talks with me about it. I have to confess. I have to be transparent. I have to keep showing you that the grace of God is working in me to correct the things that are wrong with me. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that because I messed up. I mess up all the time. I don't have to point one single factor. I don't think I could point out one single factor. <laughs> it's all the time. I'm constantly working on myself through the grace of God. But some of us, man, even, even me, man, there was a lot of things in my life. There was a lot of things I held against my mom growing up, man, because she lost her mom at the age of 33, and I'm going to tell you, she became a wreck. 
you lose your mom in your 30s, I can't even fathom. And it, it made her a wreck at home. And she did not have the church to ground herself in, to lean on. She didn't go to church. We didn't go to church growing up. She didn't have friends that could really set up next to her and go, we're going to walk you through this. We're going to help you grieve. We're going to help you mourn so that when you can walk out on the other side of this and live, right? So my mom turned to alcohol and a lot of things, and it allowed me to sneak out. and allowed, I took advantage of it a lot, all right? But over the years, I, me and her, we've always had this clash. And, and we, you know, the irony is when we lived together, it was just like we'd butt heads all the time. But when I moved out, our friendship changed. And over the years, one of the things I noticed was, like, my mom's a great friend. I don't know that I want to live with her again, but my mom is a great friend. And she's smart, and she's got a good sense of humor. She likes to laugh. <clears throat> There's a lot of things we differ on in opinion, but I like, I like talking with her, and I like hanging out with her from time to time. And she's a really good friend. And so over the years, one of the things when, when we talk about our childhood and a lot of the things that happen, you know, and, and you know, I don't know whether she'll ever really admit like things were ever tough or bad. Uh, I've, I've literally gone to her and you're like, I hope you know, like I'm an adult now and I totally see what you struggled with. As a pastor, I've, I've walked through families and got to guard them, you know, from the enemy coming against them and their families during a time like that. I've got to walk with families through the loss of a loved one. I've got to walk with families that are going through struggles and stuff. And I said, God has given me such a different perspective. So as I look back, I hope you know that anything that was there ever there I ever said as a child, I apologize for and, and know this, that you walk in forgiveness as far as I'm concerned. There's, there's nothing you could have done. You did the best you could. Considering your situation, you did the best you could. And just know that I love you. And I had to forgive. Like, that scar is done. I, I don't ever have to worry about my childhood creeping up on me. The devil, when I dream or I have any dreams or anything, the things that haunt me or whatever, it ain't my growing up. The thing that would probably make me the rebel of my teenage years is not the thing that haunts me today. Why? Because I walk in forgiveness with that. God has given me healing. He's given my mom healing through that. He's allowed us to grow up. <laughs> Praise God. Right? Time is a wonderful thing that allows space to get a look at something. You can reflect back on it, you know? It's wonderful. Wonderful. But some of us need a healing. Right? And it's all about how much, if you'll just really believe. Take a look back at the story. It says, well... Many were offended at the thought of Jesus being anything more than Joseph's illegitimate son. Jesus understood their disbelief, and rather than let rejection change him, he tried to serve him and help him, staying true to how God created him. But something happened <coughs> that he hadn't experienced before. The scripture reads, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles amongst them uh, uh, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. What's amazing to me, and this is not in my deal, maybe I'm guilty of not like studying enough on this because as I read it a couple of times, I probably should have wrote it in there. But I, I'm always amazed that like Jesus is like, all I could do was heal. And, I'm, and he was frustrated with that. <laughs> I just think that's amazing. That's kind of a big deal, Jesus. Like today... What would we give to see a healing service where the hands of God reach out and you could lay hold of God and just be healed? But what I love about Jesus is that he, he's amazed at this. All I could do is heal is to imply that I want to do so much more. I want to do so much more. I'm amazed at this because I've come to you and I, I'm going to heal some, but what I want to do is so much more. Jesus became limited in what he could do due to their unbelief. He was literally limited by how much they could believe in him. 
And you know what? I don't think anything's changed. In this moment, as we reflect on our limited and tiny view of God, I'm reminded of the words of Brennan Manning. He said this, The Lord Jesus is going to ask each of us one question and one question only. Do you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day? There's no rejection in this story. That I long to hear the sound of your voice. And the real believers, they will answer, Yes, Jesus, I believed in your love. And I tried to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, in our practice, in our church going are going to have to reply, well, frankly, no, sir. I mean, I never really believed it. I heard a lot of wonderful sermons and teachings about it. In fact, I gave quite a few myself, but I always knew that uh, that was just a way of speaking, a kindly lie, some Christian pious pat on the back to cheer me on. And there's the difference, he says, between the real believers and the nominal Christians that are found in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the depth and intensity of God's love. But listen to what he says. But at the same time, no one can measure, like a believer, the effectiveness of our gloom, our pessimism, our low self-esteem, our self-hatred and despair that blocks God's way to us. He says, do you see why it's so important to lay hold of the basic truth of our faith? Because you're only going to be as big as your own concept of God. Maybe you struggle to forgive because you think God doesn't forgive you. Maybe you struggle to have a, a bigger love because you have a shallow version of God's love. Maybe you walk in a feeble gospel because the gospel you believe in is feeble. Maybe you believe God hates you every time you do something bad and you feel so guilty, and that's a lie. So that's the way you treat everybody else that has the same thing as Christians. You assume it. You assume God to be the guy who's so fickle and mean and arrogant that if you're not doing right after you promised him you would that he hates you all of a sudden and that's not true either you're only big as your own concept of God read the Bible read the God of the Bible the God who comes to you and says I love you just as you are right he accepts you just like you are how can there ever be anything else happen no matter how much we're rejected no matter how much we do things different, no matter how different you look or how odd you stand out. We talked last Wednesday of the prophets. We talked about how odd they must have been. Isaiah at one at some point is going to get naked and walk the streets because God tells him to. Uh, uh, Elijah has to uh, live off uh, ravens and widows. Uh, 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 if you keep going, uh, one time uh, Elisha, some kids made fun of the fact that he was bald and he totally cursed them. There, if you start looking at all the different types of people God uses, you'd be amazed. All kinds of different people. <coughs> God celebrates it. He put it in the Bible that he celebrates it when he said you're called to be a people set apart. You are literally called to be different. But we don't want to be different because the world hates things that's different. That's why he says they're going to hate you because they hate me. I testify against it. I reveal all the darkness that it brings. And because Jesus reveals those things, they hate it. You're going to be different. You're, as a Christian, know that rejection is something you're going to have to face on a daily basis. I told my wife, I said, you know, 
every time I get one of these customers uh, that, that try me, I keep thinking, I swore I put that old man on the cross. I took the hammer and the nails myself, and I beat it to his hands. But he won't die, God. I mean, he's on his last few breaths, and he's still kicking, though. It's been 15 years he's been hanging on that thing. He was a lot louder moaner back in the years. He talked a whole lot more. He gets quieter and quieter every year as it goes by. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to believe that the time with the, my old man dies, that the flesh dies completely within me, will be the time I go to heaven. I'm really starting to believe that. You know, Jesus, oh, we die daily. You know why we die daily? Because, man, that old man's got a resurrected spirit. And he just jumps up out of the grave. It's like, oh, we're back on. Isn't it the truth? I'm amazed, right? The unbelief of those who, he, that, listen, the people around him are the people he grew up with. They're, they're limited, they limited his ability to help them. Man, the longer, the longer I think you're with them, I think the more you should be grow closer. There should be a more spiritual saturation to you. We got to be careful that we're not so close to Jesus all the time that we just let miracles go by the way. We're not amazed anymore. I tell you, the biggest miracle that I ever witnessed ever in my life is when somebody comes to church just about. In a day and age, it's almost impossible. Anytime I hear anybody profess the name of Jesus and I see them turn their whole life around and give it to the church, I know of no greater miracle. I'll be honest with you. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff, blind people seeing, seen people come back to life that I thought were dead. I've seen some crazy stuff. But the biggest miracle to me is anytime somebody comes to Jesus because something changes inside them that literally rocks the course of their life. What a catalyst that must be. But it, it can be limited by your unbelief. And don't feel alone here, man. All the disciples struggled, right? I mean, it says that when he, right before the Great Commission, it says and some of them didn't believe. What? <laughs> he just came back from the dead. Yeah, I'm still struggling. On the fence, Jesus. Yeah, I've been around you all this time, but I'm kind of on the fence. So that's crazy to me. At some point, we have to keep pressing forward and further. We can't allow rejection to shape our identity or our faith. We must stand on Jesus to reconcile these things and believe that he can do so. And we've got to be honest about who we are and start to live a life of transparency. It's vital to the Christian walk. You know, one of the things that I'm a firm believer of, man, a lot of people come to me about prayer and things like that. Let's bring up the worship team. A lot, of things, a lot of people, we talk about prayer, talk about a lot of things. Well, you know, how do you pray? How, can, how do you hear the voice of God? Because a lot of times, audibly, I will. I'll, I, I can honestly say audibly, a lot of the times, God will speak to me in a lot of things. And so I get a lot of people ask me this question. And even as they ask me this question, one of the things I try to tell them, is like, well, which, words, which person is praying? Is it the one that's at work? Is it the one that's at home? Which person is praying? Because here's one thing, let me give you a valid truth, just a straight truth. God only hears the voice of the one he created. Whatever persona, whatever mask you're wearing, that I don't, I don't care how it got there. I'm sure it got there because that it, usually rejection, man, the need to fit in, the need to be a certain way so that you could excel here or excel there. You got a pat on the back, affirmation created and started to form you into this being. 
just like it's so hard for us to struggle with works-based stuff, right? You ever notice like we all become a Pharisee at some point in time? Everybody realize that? What I mean by that is at some point you'll get to the place where you actually think your works make you better. Everybody's seen it in the church. Don't lie. Here's why. From the time you're born, what have you ever taught your kid? What were you taught? If you do this, I will do what? (laughs) Does that sound so far-fetched? From the time you're born, we praise you according to your works. Man, when you stood and walked, we shouted. We shouted, right? When you said your first words, awesome. How many of you bribed your kids with candy? Mm Mm-hmm. Gave them money for chores. We taught them that what? Certain works produce certain things. We gave them affirmation. We said, good job. By the way, it is a good job. But know this, they're not what save you. You can do nothing in and of yourself. That's such a hard concept for us, right? And it causes us to splinter. So I become this person because this is the person that gets the praise. This is the person that gets the affirmation. This is the person that gets this, right? Rejection creates it because if I go the way I want to go, maybe I'm not met with that same affirmation. So that's told me that this way might be wrong. By the way, a lot of people, man, they struggle with Christianity here. I mean, how many people have you ever known? They come to the church, they love the church, they go to the church, da da da, and then within like a week or two, like somebody in their family like comes down on them like the wrath of God, and you can't even, I mean, you're like, I'm trying to help them, but everything in life is working against them because the devil knows that. I mean, just remember, we talked about the seed, remember? Life comes in and chokes them out with anxiety, and because it got hard, because it got difficult, right? Well, I just can't do it. That's the whole idea, that's the gospel. You can't do it. I know we have all these people in the church that act like they can, and that gives you this false perception of what the gospel is. But the truth of the matter is, you're right. You can't do it. So give up and let Jesus. Rejection is such a hard topic because it touches all of us. All of us. There's, there's never a time we haven't faced rejection, if not on a yearly basis. Guys, if we don't ground ourselves in Jesus, and if we don't lay all the mass, we need, a, we need a 55-gallon drum like we used to do in the 90s when you burned all your CDs and all your witchcraft stuff. We need to take all our masks and bring them there to the 55-gallon drum and have a bonfire and just release all those multiple personalities that you struggle with. And so you can just be you. Well, they won't like me if they just see me. Hopefully what they'll see is Jesus. And the grace of God working through you. That's the hope, man. Because the truth is, Jesus loves you just like you are. He accepts you just like you are. That's the truth. And if you'll receive that, then like what Brennan said, what will your response be to that? I long to be where he is because I long to be where he is. And I, long, I, I have so for so long gazed upon him through the word. That I want to become like him. Not because it makes me saved. Because it doesn't. He has already done that. Jesus saved me. There's not a word I'm going to read from now on that's going to save me any more than what he's done for me on the cross. No, this is my response to grace. To have my life changed from the inside out. Amen? Stand to our feet.
Thank you that you love us. Just like we are, broken and ugly, messed up, mean sometimes. And Lord, you still love us. Lord, I pray, though, that you would help us to be conformed into the image of Christ. That when people see us, Lord, that they wouldn't see us, but they would see Jesus. And sometimes, Lord, I know you have to break us down to get us out of the way so that we can look like you. And it hurts. children.